owed to have been there when those Bibles were passed out. We, we probably can't understand what it's like to have the written word now in our own language. And as we transition to our time in Ephesians chapter one, I, I wanna start with this, is that everyone has this desire to belong and to fit in, right? I mean, it, from the earliest age, we wanna do that. Now, depending on where you lived, I'm sure this might've been your circumstance at school and in businesses. There's the C-suite, there's in society, right? There's the in crowd. And think about all those people in your mind who are the in crowd, right? There's this certain way that they walk and talk and dress and there's these perceived perks within being in the in crowd and people desire to be in the in crowd. Now, this of course happens in high school and I think of my own high school experience. I think I was in the in crowd for about a month and uh, it's very fickle when you think about being in, right? Because those relationships are rather shallow and superficial that you think about it's very utilitarian, if not Machiavellian. They only want to be your friend because they're going to get something out of you, right? Honors college people over there going, he said Machiavelli. So you think about it. That's all it is. They're using each other, glamour shots, but we know that that doesn't last. How, how contrary that is to Christianity where that's exclusive and all about image that Christianity, as we've already talked about, is inclusive, inviting people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so as we go through Ephesians chapter one in our particular portion today, we're, we're gonna see that being saved by Jesus ushers in a relationship with him. Pastor Bruce mentioned that last week. And so it's about relationship. And I even think about it later in high school in my senior year wasn't in the in crowd, but that's when somebody shared the gospel with me and I became in Christ. And no matter where you're at, to think about this, relationship with God is what we're talking about. Again, Pastor Bruce mentioned that last week. The relationship of being in Christ. It's the Christian's identity to be in Christ. Our identity isn't in the in crowd. It isn't in something else. It's in Christ and the blessings that come from being in that relationship. And so we're going to be looking at that. Matter of fact, if you're one that likes to take notes, there's a place in there on the, on the sermon notes to be able to do this. But before getting into verses 11 to 14, I want to direct your attention to the first part. And you'll see this as it comes up on the screen is that Ephesians 1 really talks about our identity in Christ. Matter of fact, um, as you look at these different verses, the Apostle Paul loves to use this phrase. Look back at verse 1, that this was written to the faithful in Christ Jesus. And each Time you see it, look in verse three, every spiritual blessing is in Christ. Verse four, he chose us in him. He chose us in him. You look at verse five, that we have adoption through Christ. In verse six, that we are blessed in the one he loves. 
In him, we have the redemption, right? In verse seven, and then in verse nine, we see the purpose set forth in Christ, right? Being, being, bringing unity to all things under Christ. Now, you might be thinking, okay, Mike, why, why are you mentioning all this? So what Paul does in, in verses three to 14, which is one monster long run-on sentence in Greek, okay? There is a lot in there where he talks about in whom, in Christ, in him. And so you're just thinking like, wow, you really like that prepositional phrasing. But here's the thing. Language matters. Proximity matters because relationship matters. So being in him, that's a proximity issue. And I don't want you to think about that just person to person here. Being in him is not just proximity. It's about relationship. When somebody says they are in Christ, they are with Christ. They have a blessing through Christ. And so we see that Christians are in him, that we're chosen in him as heirs, which God predestined. You see that back in verse 11. God initiated. He's being so intentional to choose people in him. So I just want you to think about that because as we go on, it's all about relationship relationship with Christ being in him. Well, let's start off by looking at verses 12 to 13 because there's an interesting thing with just the word usage that the Apostle Paul uses here. He says, we, and he says, you. Okay, so as you look at verse 12, notice that he says, we who are the first to hope in Christ. Okay, those, those were the Jewish Christians. Okay, back in Ephesians, I mean, back in Acts chapter 3, verse 26, and other places you see that the gospel went first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, that they were chosen people to the praise of his glory. But notice then he goes on, he says, you also, that is the Gentiles, the non-Jews who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you also, they're now included with the born-again Jews as equal partners and heirs. Same hope, same inheritance. Now, let me just mention that's going to fast forward some stuff in the next few weeks as we go through Ephesians. This first part in Ephesians 1 really is the springboard into chapters 2, 3, and 4. There are a number of things that the Apostle Paul has already mentioned in this chapter, like grace and mercy and and he'll get to forgiveness. And he's talking about the Jews and Gentiles and their differences. He's going to elaborate that more in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4. So when we get there, you're going to go, wait a minute, didn't we already go over this? Paul's going to elaborate more on these things that we see in the first chapter. And so you see that the Jews who were the, they were the old in crowd, right? They were the chosen people. It's not that they get X'd out. Now the Gentiles are able to come in. They've been invited in to partake in the same things that the Jews had, but so much more. And so when you think about it, they're being brought together. Now, what makes me think about this is early on, how many of you, when you're younger, Thanksgiving time, that you ever had to sit at the kids' table? How many of you, kids' table? All right, some of you are groaning, but right now at my age, I'm thinking kids' table is pretty cool. 
But here's the thing, is that you're there and you're like going, okay, we don't belong. You almost feel like second-class citizens. And you're like, oh, to be the day we can go up there. Not so much for the conversation, but the food was better. Or at least sometimes you think so, right? But there are no second-class citizens in God's kingdom. There's no kids' table for the Gentiles here. What the Apostle Paul is saying that, yes, we were chosen. First, we had this hope. But now, now the Gentiles are included. The very fact that they can take part of that. And so pretty much everybody here, we're probably of the Gentile variety, right? So you think about why why and how are we included? Look again at verse 13. That we heard, like them, we heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. The fact that we're now included in God's redemptive plan. I mean, we can't even think about how amazing that is that we're actually invited into that. But here's the focus that I'd like to do in the rest of our our time is looking at the second part of verse 13 and verse uh, 14 about the Holy Spirit and our inheritance. There's a lot of things that the Apostle Paul is going to mention about the Spirit. We're just going to focus on a couple things in our time this morning. But one of the things that we'll, we'll see is that upon believing, we were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. You look back at Acts chapter 19, verse 2, is that when people came to faith in Christ, they received the Holy Spirit. Believe and then receive, right? So we have this mark, the seal of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in fact, in a number of places, uh, had talked to the disciples about sending the Holy Spirit. You think of John chapter 14, verse 16. Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will come. But Paul is now going to talk about uh, one of the roles that the Holy Spirit uh, fills. And you see this is that God seals us in Christ with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is important. You see the Trinity at play here in chapter one, that God seals us in Christ with the Holy Spirit. And so when you think about this idea of of sealing, you wonder like, okay, well, why is that necessary? And we have to think about the various uses back then and even today for using a seal. One of the things I was thinking about is my grandma who used to pickle and can all sorts of stuff and, and, and she'd use this seal and we had these ball jars. I know you want to call them mason jars, but our brand was ball. They're all ball. All right. So, you know, there's Kleenex and mason, no, ball jars. So, so you know what I'm talking about. And so you can that, and then she put the wax on it, and then she put that on there. And man, even years later, you know, how many of you have tried to get that seal going? You're waiting for that pop. So it protects what's in there, the preserves, right? So in one way, there's a protection value. A lot of times, especially back then, um, seals were affixed to documents, right? Via wax and a signet ring and to show the authenticity or genuineness of the document or the product. Um, You've also heard of having a seal of approval. Probably went to the grocery store. You're looking at certain meat. I mean, there's certain things you want to make sure there's a seal of approval, right? Unless you're living dangerously and God bless you, okay? But, you know, I'm looking for a seal. So there's certain things that will also mark that. There's other seals that show ownership, 
Okay? So if you think about it in these different ways, whether it's a seal of approval or protection or ownership, all these things would be what the mark, the seal of the Holy Spirit would do. And I want you to think about these three particular things. We'll talk about this for a moment. It's identification. The seal acts as an identification. It also shows authority and security. So just think about this for the life of the Christian. This is what the Apostle Paul is trying to get at, is that the seal of God on the believer is validated by the Holy Spirit, that you and I actually belong to God, that we're identified in him, that we're in him. And this is the the, the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. The seal of God certifies God's authority that we're included in Christ for those who believe in him. And you think about the seal of God reveals that God's promise is irrevocable. God's gonna make good on what he's promised to do when it comes to our inheritance. It's gonna stay secure. Now, the Apostle Paul mentioned this in a number of different places when he writes in 2 Corinthians. You'll see these as they come up on the screen. The first one is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Paul says this, Now, it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us and set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Now, even in a few chapters later, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 5, he says almost the same thing. And again, it's in a different context when he's talking about their earthly bodies in anticipation of heaven. Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So God is promising what is to come, and he does so through a deposit and guaranteeing. Now, many of us understand that concept, right? That a, that a deposit is a, an earnest, a pledge, a down payment that's made to a vendor, and the rest would come in full. For the Christian, it is the first installment. Now, think about it. I I've had to put a down payment on a wedding rent. I've put a down payment on a house, right? All these different things. And this is what God has done for us in Christ when we think about our inheritance in heaven. So as we look at this particular passage, we start to realize in this down payment, it is 100% guaranteed that God is not going to renege on it. He's not going to revoke what he's put. It's there. Now, this is going to come into play because I don't know about you, but it's so hard to think about the way future or what I call the way future. Getting older, the way future is now nearer future for me. But, you know, when you think about, oh, heaven and what it'll be like there. And yet we're talking about this with inheritance. And so as the Apostle Paul mentions about the spirit that we're marked with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, guaranteeing for us this inheritance. We'll have to then think through what is this inheritance and what are characteristics of the inheritance. 
And so there's four things that I just want to mention about the characteristics of this inheritance, because it might seem so far off for us, but I want this to be an incredible encouragement for us as we see what God has done. So the first thing is this, it's a future blessing that the characteristic of the inheritance, it's a future blessing reserved for those who are in Jesus, who trust in Jesus for salvation. It's a future blessing. Now, as the Apostle Paul already mentioned earlier, that there are many blessings we can receive now as Christians, but inheritance is a future blessing. The second thing that we notice is that God that it was purposed by God the Father beforehand. Way back when, when we use words like predestined and beforehand, God the Father had purposed that we would have an inheritance. Very intentional. And you think about even the intentionality of parents, grandparents, who want to leave an inheritance for their kids. Even more so, God beforehand, purposing that we would have an inheritance in him. And here's the third thing I want you to notice, is that this inheritance, and I'm using the words of the Apostle Peter, who writes in 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5, that this inheritance never perishes, spoils, or fades. You think about Jesus' words back in Matthew chapter 6, right? Our treasures in heaven where moth and rust will not destroy. This is the idea of the inheritance. Future blessing, purposed by God, never perishes, spoils, or fade. You're not, you're not going to get to that place and go, oh man, it's like opening up a chest full of just things that are just broken and, and, and disintegrating. No, 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 not that with the inheritance that God gives us. And here's a fourth thing, which is great. This characteristic is that it is a, a sure and certain hope. The inheritance that Paul talks about is a sure and certain hope. Think about the language that the writer of Hebrews uses in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 18 and 19, when he calls this the anchor of our soul, this hope. We have a sure and certain hope. That at the end, God's not going to say, oh, it's like, I, I was really just joking. No, 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 it's there. He's promised it. God is true to his word. But here's something that I'd like to mention, though. If we know this about inheritance, and that sounds all well and good, what difference might it have now? Like, what should this inheritance produce in us? I mean, yeah, I, I love that it's going to be in the future and that I have that, but, but what about now? What, what does that knowledge of the future help me with right now? And whatever our circumstances are, we might not be even thinking about inheritance until we read this passage because of all the things that are happening. What should our inheritance produce? Well, here's the first thing I like to mention, security. It's not just the security that we've already talked about that what awaits us, the day of redemption in the future, it's the security of knowing that now. Despite all the instability in our lives, 
I mean, think about it. We live in unstable times, don't we? Let me ask you, was there ever a time where a group of people would say that they didn't live in unstable times? Right? And so, but yet, instability in finances, the economy, job, relationships, health, a number of different things. And yet with all that, God is stable. God is our rock. God is our fortress. He can't be shaken. And so when we think about what it means to be in him, yes, that inheritance seems so far off and we have some of the blessings in smaller measure now. Yet the security of this and knowing that God is our rock, that we can rest assured that he will fulfill what he's promised of what we receive later in inheritance. In this time, you probably notice a lot of people have lost money through whether it's Ponzi schemes, Madoff years ago, different banks, savings and loans, other type of things where, I mean, so here's God. He's the 100% we could trust. The security that nothing, nothing will happen to what God has promised. And so as we think about that, there's security in life now that we could draw on that from God himself, our rock and fortress. Say, God, remind me of all the things that are happening around that I can cling to you. That there is security. Knowing that we have this inheritance provides this security. The second thing I want to mention about what our our, um, inheritance produces is joy. Is joy. This isn't something like I'm getting an email from some Nigerian prince that I got an inheritance. Maybe you got that too. I, I don't know. Maybe we're sharing that inheritance. But no, this is something that God has mentioned that is shared by Jews and Gentiles alike in him. And how that would give us joy. I don't deserve it at all. But according to what God says, an inheritance isn't about what we deserve. He does it for the praise of his glory. That we should have this joy let me take a different tack to this. I want you to look back at verse seven, okay? We, we talked about verse seven last week. But in verse seven, and this produces joy in me, verse seven, Paul wrote about the release from the guilt of sin. As Christians, we are released from the guilt of sin because of what Jesus has done for us. But when we get to verse 14 in our passage today, It's mentioned until the redemption, which shows our ultimate release from the presence of sin. So in verse seven, we're talking about being released from the guilt of sin. And then in our passage now, the inheritance is that we will be able to be there without the presence of sin. We will be there with God, who is our inheritance, unencumbered by sin. And the thought of that brings joy. It should bring joy. The very fact of already we have joy and knowing what Jesus Christ has done for us, how much more in that day when all sin is removed, when all tears are removed, when all pain and fear are removed. And this is what God does for us in Christ. The very fact that we should be welling up in joy. But here's the third thing. 
that our inheritance should produce is confidence. Confidence, and that seems to be in short supply, especially when times are difficult. This idea of confidence is that we have an unseen hope for the future. And I know sometimes people have the, the, the best of intentions, but the worst of results in difficult times, they say to us, it's going to get better. Is it? Does it need to be? Probably not the information that Job would have needed at a time of need. But when we think about the confidences and the unseen hope that we look forward by faith, it's not in our present circumstances, but knowing that we already have an inheritance, knowing that God has done all these things in Christ for us, but ultimately for the praise of his glory, then that should give us a confidence. And a confidence to say, if a God who has known from the beginning of time the purpose that he would have an inheritance for you and I who believe in Christ, would he not be with me at the present time? If he's promised that I'm going to have that in the future, will he not be with me at the present time? There is a confidence that we have. We have uh, uh, this, this unseen hope for the future based on God's promise. See, knowing that God will do this gives us a confidence to live now in the reality that God has a plan. I wish he'd tell me all the time what that plan is. But it's also an opportunity for you and I to grow in faith and to grow in trust. And we pray and we ask God, show me a confidence. I know he has... We sing in a song, I know that he holds the future. There's so many different songs and hymns and praise songs that speak about how we could grow in our confidence in God because he always comes through. I think at the end of Joshua's life when he said that not one of the good Lord's promises had failed, not one. And that is true for us today. What God has promised for the future will give us a confidence as we go through certain things today. And here's the last thing that I want to mention of what our inheritance produces or should produce, and that's praise. It's praise. The purpose of God's plan is actually doxological. It's focused on praise. Look back at verse 6, 12, and 14. They're markers at the end of little sections that Paul Paul goes through in verses 3 to 6 and talking about what God the Father is doing. And he finishes by saying, to the praise of his glorious grace. You get to verses 7 to 12, and 12 finishes as to the praise of his glory. In the section that we also read in verse 14, it finishes with to the praise of his glory when you think about all that he's done for us and all that he will do and knowing that God himself is our inheritance, that we should be praising God all the time. To think about it, and, and, and let's be honest, we, we get encumbered with our present circumstances and sometimes we get sucked into the past but we need to be leaning in and drawn toward the future because of what God has promised. 
God's going to do that. And that should elicit praise from everyone who is in Christ with every heart and mouth that should give praise to God for what he's done, that he is doing this, that God himself would be magnified. And that really takes us to our take-home truth when you think about it, that everything, everything that God has done for us in Christ is for the praise of his glory. Everything, everything that he's done for us in Christ is for the praise of his glory. Now, here's the thing. You and I get the benefit of God's love, of his grace, of his mercy, of his forgiveness, of his provision, of his presence, of all these things. And although it's a great benefit, we're, we're not the end result of it. It's for the praise of his glory. We can't elevate us above God's praise. He's done all this, not because we deserve it, but because he's purposed to do it through Christ for the praise of his glory. So think about it. God loves you for the praise of his glory. That God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you for the praise of his glory. That God purposed that he would show his grace and mercy to you through Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross for the praise of his glory. That God resurrected Jesus for the praise of his glory. That God sends us his Holy Spirit for the praise of his glory. And you can go on and on and on when you think about it. When you recall what God has done and what God will do and what God will give to us who are in Christ, remember that ultimately it's for the praise of his glory. Now, here's the one action thing I want you to do during the week. You know, a lot of times we might do stuff during the whole message, but here's the thing. Here's the one thing I want to ask you to do this week. I want you to write down or to speak to someone everything that God has done for you in Christ. I want you to write down or to speak to somebody all the things that God has done for you in Christ. Now, that might take a while. But I want you to remember, too, when you do that, I want you to say or write down that it's for the praise of his glory. Everything we've talked about today, for the praise of his glory. As you go through the week, whatever that's like, just think it's for the praise of your glory. Even as we wait for answered prayer, God, increase my faith, but I know it's for the praise of your glory. I want you to recount what God has done to know that we have incredible blessings now and especially later because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. The sealing of that Holy Spirit that be for the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the many, many blessings we have in Christ. Lord, once again, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that we have a better understanding of who you are and how we live. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that we would go through this week. And Lord, that we would live lives that are pleasing to you. God, that we would be salt and light to the world. 
God, I thank you for the opportunity that you give us to represent you in our walks of life to the praise of your glory. God, I pray that whatever the circumstances that we're going through right now, we're reminded of your nearness, reminded that we're in him. God, I pray that you'd be glorified. Be glorified in every area of our lives. Lord, may our lips speak your praise. May our lives do so as well. For we ask in Jesus' precious name.